So we're continuing on. So we see that the two reasons that people are basically deceived, the one, they don't want the truth, and the second is they're practicing gross sin and they will not repent. Now we'll go to Second Thessalonians, if I use quite a bit in the times that we live and to the future that's going to happen. It said the coming, this would be Second Thessalonians 2, nine. The coming of the lawless one or the Antichrist will be according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Those who are deceived, they perish spiritually. Why? It says because. I mean, this is the reason. Listen to it. They did not receive the love of the truth. They're like the masses. They won't come to the light. Or when they hear the truth, they flee from it. You don't want to put up with it. They love not the truth, that they might be saved. It means the truth is given to a great degree, through nature, through their conscience, through the gospel, and yet whatever way it comes, they don't want it. So they refuse it, therefore they're not saved. And for this reason, what? Because they reject the truth. It says God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. This is when the Antichrist deceives most of the world. But the principle's still working. You keep rejecting the truth, The Holy Spirit will not strive, and if he will not strive, he actually says he sends. King Saul rebelled too many times, and the scripture says the spirit of Jehovah departed from him, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. That's God's principle. See, he keeps the devil around, and demons, they have their purpose. They deceive people willingly and get no credit for it. But God can use them, and he will. So if you reject the truth enough, you're going to believe a lie because the Lord's going to see that evil spirits come your way. So that's why I tell people, if you backslide, if you sin, don't play with God. Don't play with grace and sin because you don't know when the Holy Spirit says it's enough. And when he says it's enough, you can't be saved. You can't come back to the Lord. You're hardened. You're conscience. And so it's a dangerous position. And he said that they will believe a lie. And that reason that they believe a lie, that they all may be condemned or damned who do not believe the truth, but who had pleasure in unrighteousness. If people and Christians read this scripture once a week, it would enlighten them. It would guard them against deceptions and the darkness. We're already in a time of darkness. We're in the time of labor. It's getting pretty dark out there, and it has to before the Antichrist will be in a position to deceive most of the world. We're in the times, we're entering the times of Lot and Noah, where very few people saved. And there will be a falling away from true Christianity. There's not going to be no great revival. You've been told a lie. It's going to get darker and darker, and few there be are going to find it. And so people need to take warning. These church members were, as far as the Lord was concerned, 
fornicators spiritually and adulterers against the Lord. They were naming the name of the Lord. Some of them were Christians and were falling away. And he warns them about, they went into idolatry. They mingled with the false cults and ate and had communion with them, we would say. And Paul said, what communion have light with darkness? And he said, you can't eat the communion, the Lord's table, and eat of the table of demons. So Paul had already warned some, they can't do this. You've got to be careful or it will cost you a lot. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast till I come. Now, the Christian today, he may not be a great witness and evangelist. Apparently, to the world, he's not doing much. But the true church is holding his own. If he maintains his holiness and obeys the Lord, he'll make it. If he doesn't, if he gets involved in false churches or backslidden churches, he will be deceived himself. Because if he's given them the truth, they will either repent or they'll throw him out. There's no other way. A true Christian cannot be comfortable in a false church or a church that is not spiritual. He's better off with the Lord, beaten with the one and two people, than beaten with 500 who don't well want to serve the Lord. Okay? The Lord did say in the book of Revelations, there was a time he said, come out from among them. You're not only to come out from the world, but from those who profess to be Christians who are not. He said, come out. Don't fellowship with them. So there's the warning. Okay? And so he says, hold on to what you have. That's interesting. Let no man will see a one of the churches. He says, take your crown. So you have to hold firm. It is not easy believism. It's not say one little prayer and you don't have to worry. And I read the end of the book and we win. Well, only the overcomer wins. Only the one who endures wins. The other ones don't win. They're going to be shocked when they find out they don't win. Okay? So he's telling them, hold on till I come. We have to warn and be faithful and not fall away. We have to bear fruit and move on and bear much fruit, but we cannot be in the state of not bearing fruit. We cannot be, as we will see later, the foolish five virgins. Okay, and now we see uh, we cannot go back to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition or hell, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, the false heretic uses a scripture to say that the Hebrews are warned and they didn't fall away. That is a poor way of interpreting scripture. It's not rightly to handling the word of truth. He meant the ones who were listening to him and that were faithful had not fallen away. And so he was commending them for this. But we have to believe to the saving of the soul. The person is saved and has eternal life here and now. But it's not guaranteed here and now. Until he's faithful with his pilgrimage or his race to the end, his soul will not be permanently saved. 
That's one of the promises we'll see with the churches. If you overcome, he's talking to Christians, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will not go in and out. You will be fixed. But as long as you live in this world, you can serve the Lord and continue with him, or you can turn away and go back to the world. Anybody tells you anything else, they're telling you a lie. Because as long as you're in this world, you have the flesh, the world, and the devil to contend with. People have told me, well, when you get so spiritual, you don't want to do these things. You're a liar. If you didn't want to do any of these things, you wouldn't be tempted. It's the carnal, low nature that can be tempted. And we have the ability through Christ's grace to say no to it. But it is going to tempt us. Paul said, God will make a way for us to escape under great temptation. So when I hear people tell me, well, you just don't, you're a holier than thou hypocrite. Even Jesus was tempted. So when people say that, they're totally deceived. What can I say? So we have to stand and be fruitful. The others had fallen, the Hebrews, from grace. They stood, and that's what Paul was encouraging them. Some fell back to destruction, spiritual loss. They went back to Judaism, thinking it would be easier for them. But to go back to Judaism, which had been abolished spiritually, they had to trample on Christ to do it. So that's why the scripture implies they cannot be saved. Some will come back. Some will be so hardened, we call it blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself will not deal with them anymore. Therefore, they cannot be saved, and they don't desire to be saved. They're hardened. Their conscience is different. So we have eternal life here. We're saved. But if we fall away, we will be cut off from the vine and If we don't, we have to endure to the end. This is what he tells each church. You have to be an overcomer. He never implied they were an overcomer to the end. He implied, and so does John, that they can be presently an overcomer. And they can be past the overcomer. But the future is different. They have to live in the future and overcome to the end. This is why you can see Often the once saved, always saved person doesn't like these scriptures. They don't emphasize them or they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Okay. And so now we get to verse 26. He who overcomes and he who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Okay. The one who keeps and continues in his deeds, his works. See, because that reveals what he believes. If he says, Lord, Lord, he obeys him. Remember Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you to do? See, he doesn't accept them as his if they don't obey him. doesn't matter that they believe who he is. So many people in the world believe they're Christians. Two billion people. And 99% of them don't know what it means to be born again, regenerated, or saved. They're just given lip service. But there's no change of heart. There's no true repentance. There's no being led of the Spirit. Okay? So to the end of their lives, the end of their pilgrimage, they have to overcome, endure, 
to the end of the race, the end of their warfare. And as long as you're on the planet Earth, those tribulations you're going to have to deal with. What did the scripture say? Through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom. Many are the righteous persecutions, the afflictions of righteous people. But he says, the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. That's what Paul said. He will not allow any temptation more than you're able to bear, but he will make a way to escape. But if you make provision for the flesh, you get no help from the Lord. See, that's the danger. You have a will, and your will can be used before you're a Christian or after you're a Christian. Most of the New Testament is to encourage the Christian to stay with the Lord. It's encouraging his will and mind to use the graces that God gives. If he does not use the armor, he will be defeated. If he does not use the grace of God, he cannot endure. So you have to understand that. There's always the human and divine side. It's never just God. And it's never just the person. It's the combination. It's the vine and the branch. They have to bear fruit together. They cannot separately bear fruit. Okay. Okay. We see she'll rule over the nations. Okay. They will be made rulers or authorities. Most likely this rule will be during the thousand year millennium when there's peace and the gospel through the world. And outwardly, rebellion and wickedness will not be allowed. It will be confined to the heart of the person until toward the end when Satan will draw it out of many people. Okay, people say, well, how can so many people rule during that time? Well, it's interesting. The scripture says that time, that thousand year period, that there'll be no more seas. So we'll have three quarters more earth. And if we can hold easily 8 billion people now, there may be 3 to 20 times more that number during the millennium. So it'll be a plenty of people to rule over. And the scripture says you'll rule with a rod of iron. So the Christian will help rule. And if wickedness comes to the surface through a person, they will be struck with a rod of iron. They may be put to death. It will not be permitted. There will not be no rioting or rebelling openly. It will be in the heart. And so we see now it's different. The only true righteousness is in the Christian. It's not in the outward world, okay? But during the millennium, the only wickedness will be in the individual's heart. If they try to manifest it, they will be judged by authorities with a rod of iron. Uh, this means to crush them. It has nothing to do with repentance. It has nothing to do with being patient. It means instantly God will deal with it. And the people will know that. And it will confine their wickedness until the end of the, toward the thousand years end. Then most of them will, that have been bred during that thousand years, most of them will eventually reject the Lord. Satan has been bound during that time and evil spirits. And then God will let them loose to go deceive the nation. Can you see again? It's God's purpose to use the devil to draw out of people what's in them. 
And if they don't get the grace of God and they don't want to follow the Lord, then he turns them over to evil spirits. People need to understand that. You cannot be neutral. There is no spiritual neutral ground. You have to stay with the Lord or you go back into the world. Okay. So we see in verse 26, I will give them authority over the nation. Real quickly, in Matthew chapter 25, toward the end, 25, verse 20 and 21. So he received the five talents, came and brought five more talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy. It's believed he's talking about the millennium. Some say he uses this example. They'll be given more authority, those who are faithful, to what God requires of them. 27, and he's quoting Old Testament too, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I've also received authority from my father. So the overcoming Sam will rule with me. Uh, He'll rule over the nations probably during the millennium period, and he will have a rod, and he will dash to pieces rebellion. He will not put up with it. And see, Christ, everything's been given to him, and we share in that. And the vessels will be broken to pieces. They'll be made useless. And he said, I've received this from my father. So he shares it uh, with the overcomers. They will rule with him. Okay? Christ will rule with the overcomer with a rod of iron. See, It's used against those who display wickedness. There is no patience with them. See, because there's no demonic activity. They are serving evil without basically the great influence of the devil or the spiritual world, the worldly. But in their heart, they can be fleshly and still refuse to serve the Lord. That's what the Lord's showing. And it will not be put up with when they do this openly. So during the latter part of the thousand year, most will be wicked. Most will, the billions will probably turn from the Lord and they will actually turn on the Lord and try to overcome the Lord in the holy city. So there's some interesting things coming. So peace and order will be maintained. And like we say, now it's reversed. The only true righteousness on the earth is in the Christian. Outwardly, uh, wickedness often prevails. The scripture says that Satan is the god of this world. Mainly the politics, government, and most religions, they're under his influence. Most what is called Christianity is ruled by the devil. Most of them that stand in the pulpit are Satan's messengers. They're deceived, many of them. Many of them think they know the Lord, but they're false. He doesn't care if you acknowledge him. He gets you deceived and damned whether you like him or not. 
during the Antichrist, he'll really deceive some people then. Okay. Verse 28, I will give him who? The one who overcomes. I will give him the morning star. The overcomer gets the morning star. Some believe it's Christ himself and his kingdom ruling over all. The earliest star in the morning. So we know it's a planet, but back then they interchanged these words. So he's saying, I'll give you myself. We will find later, and we have found, he'll give them a secret name, and they will know it, and certain things he will give them that no one else shall receive. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As to each church, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. You're not to quench the Spirit. That's the first stage. You're not to grieve the Spirit. And ultimately, you're not to despise or insult the Spirit. He warns them about that. No one can be saved apart from his drawing to the Father. No one can come back as a backslider without the Spirit giving the gift of repentance. Say again, God has something to do with it. People can't get saved whenever they want to. They can only get saved as the Spirit brings conviction on them and they respond properly. So people don't just decide, oh, I think I'll serve the Lord now. Then they'll get false religion and false Christianity. Many people have that. They're born into churches and denominations, so they think they're saved. Their mothers and fathers and grandparents may have been saved. But God has no grandchildren. Each has to come personally to the Lord. Okay, and now we go to chapter 3, to the angel of the church of Sardis. I laugh sometimes when I see this because friends of mine I used to visit at about 10 miles from their house in the country. They had a little church, and it was called the church of Sardis. And so every time I rode by that, I I just wanted to put a sign there saying, we have a name that we're alive, but we're dead. Who would maintain a church named Laodicea, a Sardis? It's sort of pathetic if you think about it, but it was true. Okay. And he says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, he's saying this to you. Now, remember, we will see It's the Father and the Son and the Spirit speaking. Remember the message was received from the Father, was given to the Son. Jesus said at each church, he said, listen to the Spirit. He starts off with each church identifying something about himself. So you can see the Godhead and display. And what does he say? I know your deeds, your works, that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Some of the modern translations, if we use the words regularly, it would be understandable. But they don't like that word works. Calvinistic person. So they change often deeds, but it's interchangeable, and it means works, and it means action. It means doing something, as James would tell us. So it doesn't alter the fact that he's going to judge your works and deeds. They're one and the same to him. Your actions are going to prove 
what you believe. Your lip service proves nothing unless there's works to verify it. That's what James says, okay? So it is noticeable that the location of the seven churches, they sort of make a circle, and so a delivery person would have a trip about 300 miles in a circle to complete it. Ephesus was northwest. There was Ephesus, and the northwest was Smyrna, and north of Smyrna was Pergama, and then southeast was Thyatira we just talked about, and now south of Thyatira was Sardis, and east of Sardis was Philadelphia, and southeast was Laodicea. And actually, in the same area was a church called Antioch. Well, there's an Antioch that's in Syria, which is, I think, the bigger church, the largest, uh, but there was the Antioch, uh, had another name, but it was Antioch too, that was in Turkey. So we can see the Lord had of options of churches that he could pick. He could have picked Antioch and Rome, uh, Jerusalem, uh, but he knew what he was doing. A cross-section that would apply to the time and that could be used in the future that covers mainly the problems or the symbols of the problems that would be throughout the church. That's what he's talking about. So the Lord identifies himself as the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, uh, which we spoke about earlier. He again says, I know your deeds. I know your works. I know your actions. He knows all. He knows motive. He knows intent. He knows actions, service, and worship. How does he? He is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. He's one with the Godhead. So he knows all now. Remember, he said, Father on earth, restore to me the glory which I had with you before the world was. So when he resurrected and ascended, the Father restored him to the full Godhead. And the use of the Godhead. So that's what we have to understand. That proves then that many of the churches are backslidden and dead spiritually. So he picks these seven to illustrate if we understand what he's talking about. As I've said, like the seven epistles from Paul to the other churches, each church, he has several messages. And some were faithful and some were not. But the majority, he had a problem with some of these. Only one or two of them he didn't have a problem with. And remember, these were community-type churches. When it says the church of Sardis, he's talking about several home groups in the area. So some of these home groups were faithful. And they didn't tolerate what the others did. Sort of like a denomination, you would say. But now they are worse So it was the whole area he was talking about when he speaks of a lampstand and the church. He wasn't talking about one group. And yet Jesus said that where two or three Christians are is the church operating. So at the minimum, two or three praying and seeking the Lord, God's mist is there in a different way than it is without it. Now, when Paul and others were in prison, God gave them more grace. When the churches today are false and backslidden, some people are forced to be alone. They cannot fellowship with these heretics 
and with these hypocrites, God said, come out from among them. So he gives them more grace to remain faithful. But if you have a good fellowship, use it. That's what he's saying. But he's spreading the Christian out. There's so few of them like salt. And why he's doing this is as he spreads the individuals out, they are sustaining spiritually an area and keeping the Lord from bringing judgment to those areas. They're restraining force. They're keeping it from being totally rotten. So this is why the Lord many times lets one and two Christians live alone in certain areas. They alone are keeping God and holding back his wrath. So we have to understand that. That's what salt does. It not only gives flavor, it keeps things from rotting, totally rotting. So that is one reason he does this in a darker time. Poor Elijah, he thought he was the only Christian left. We say Christian, faithful Jew, because he was the only one that was public. He was the only one that was standing boldly. And yet the Lord said there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. The 7,000, they weren't involved in the church and they stayed at home, but they weren't making an outward display. There were a 100 prophets who were being hid, 50 each in a cave, and yet they were hiding. And Elijah wasn't. So you can see why he said, I am alone, and they're seeking to kill me. And God said, oh, you're not. They're there. But there is a time that we have to be in the state of Elijah. We are called to side. God has different purposes, different activities for those people during dark times. Noah was one, and Lot was one. And he said it's going to be that way as the end comes closer. Okay? So he says something to them. I know everything you've done. You are known to be alive, or you say you're alive and busy. Sounds like a lot of these mega churches today. But he said, but you're dead. Now, that means you're not a Christian. That means that whatever you had, if you had it, you forfeited it. Because he comes right out and plainly tells them, you're dead. Most of Laodicea, he said, was naked, which means they had no righteousness, which means they weren't Christians anymore. They had shed that. So he speaks to certain groups and certain churches. So as a whole, he was saying the church of Sardis was dead. Outwardly, they were claiming to be Christians and doing some things. And some of them even stood against the emperor and held up mental truth of who Jesus was. But they were busy. They were like the church of Ephesus. He said, you lost your first love. You're doing a lot of things right, but you're doing the most important thing wrong. So we can see, as James says, he that is guilty of one point of the law is guilty of everything. So when the Christian is guilty of something that's gross, it nullifies everything else he does. It doesn't count with God. See, people need to understand that. They think uh, God's going to weigh their good against their bad. It is going to work that way. The unrighteous have no good. All of their righteousness comes from Christ, uh, being with him. And he only stays with the person who walks in holiness, which he helps them do. He comes alongside. 
He strengthens them. He gives them grace. Otherwise, he departs from them. Okay? And so we see most churches are backslidden and dead spiritually. So we see, as I keep saying, even with the Apostle Paul's seven epistles to various churches, uh, he speaks a different thing to different ones. Uh, look at Second Corinthians. So this is Second Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. He only uses this word about three times. He meant disqualified from Christianity. He didn't mean being put on the shelf or being backslidden as some of the once saved, always saved people said. He said, examine yourself. Well, they would examine themselves. Well, I confessed Jesus when I was 10 years old. Well, that ain't what he's talking about. That's not true Christianity. Are you following the Lord? Are you producing fruit? Are you being led of the Spirit? That's what he means you to examine. And he says, if not, then perhaps you've been disqualified. So Christ is saying the same thing to the church of Sardis. Most of you think you're alive. And you're busy and because you're active in everything. Well, a lot of times people are busy and active for a show to ease their conscience because they don't want to deal with certain subjects. They think if they busy themselves that God will understand. Oh, he will. You'll be cut off from grace eventually. See, multitude of professing Christians, they do good stuff, yet they continue in gross sin. And they think, well, my good will outweigh my bad. It will not. That's what's going to be the shocker for him. The Christian can only do good and bear fruit by abiding in Christ. The wicked person has good intentions, but everything he does that appears to be good is wood, hay, and stubble. He can't produce anything spiritual because he's not born again. He's not regenerated. So a lot of great humanitarians who the world holds in honor, well, Proverbs says, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the Lord. And these people are going to wonder how they ended up in hell. But they weren't Christians, so they could not have the Spirit guiding them. So they want to do good works and things like the Pharisee. They're self-righteous. See, they believe that that will get them in, that God has to see this. And he does. He sees the works are from the human nature, and the human nature by itself cannot produce spiritual good because he's fallen and has an old man. And his sins have not been forgiven, so he cannot do spiritual goods. People need to understand that. So Paul was saying, are you a real Christian anymore? Well, Sardis the Lord makes it very plain. He says, you're dead. He doesn't say, perhaps, so you should examine. He tells them the truth. He says, you're dead. He said, but you have a name in the community that you're Christian because you're busy and you do lots of things. But Christ did not accept it. So he tells them in verse 2, let's go ahead. I need more time in verse 2, so we will stop at chapter 3, verse 1. Lord, give us wisdom 
Give us practical application. Give us the truth. Make it plain to us in this wicked age. In Jesus' name, amen.